think that we should be not by the main road? Do you think it'd be quieter or do you think it matters? I truly don't think it matters. Okay. We I can we'll we can say that we're in my my Hyundai Elantra. That's fine. We are in your Hyundai Elantra. We're in we, my- <laughs> we there's we had a taco bus after a good reporting day. We did. Where we decompressed and drank Coke and horchata. That is Gabrielle Khaleesi. We've just spent a very long afternoon working on a story and starving and eager to decompress, we scrambled to downtown Lakeland where we could eat taco bus and maybe get a little work done. We're writing together and there's no better place to attempt to get some writing done than a half empty restaurant on a Monday night. There's a family a few booths back and I get worried a few times that maybe we're yelling a bit too loud. Not only did we both just spend the whole afternoon interviewing, we also both have work that came out today. My interview with Rachel Simmons published this morning, and Gabrielle's story about sloth encounters dropped this afternoon. It's exciting knowing your hard work is being seen, but we're both in the middle of news stories separately and together, so we're still kind of at work. We're eating dinner, but Gabrielle's taking notes and I'm looking through my audio files. The next project is already on the horizon. We met on Twitter because by sheer chance we found each other's work. She's been a reporter with the Tampa Bay Times for over a year, and a few months ago, an article of hers about street name origins found itself on my feed. We're both weird Florida kids with love for our state and its history. The first time we met in person, we spent nearly two and a half hours jumping from topic to topic, from interstates to coffee shops to podcasts to bat sanctuaries to libraries to hockey teams. We covered it all. Our conversations are not easy to follow, least of all by us. Half the time we're sharing unusual Florida-specific anecdotes that the other may not have heard so that maybe we could use it in a story. No one else could possibly care about the banal little details, but we compare and contrast and puzzle on each story. I've gotten several new ideas from our conversations. There's always something to find. And that is because Gabrielle asks questions. She says that she starts all of her work with a question origin stories or necessary explanations. She follows her curiosity and that curiosity often leads her to strange places. If, if I did have a beat, it would be interesting things and I wanna be the person that's always answering that question that you didn't even know that you had or had never put into words. I'm Nick D'Alessandro and this is Wait Five Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, another installment of my short form series, Floridians. We talk about and with Floridians who are working to make their communities a little better. This week, while season three is in production, we spend a little time with Gabrielle Khaleesi, a reporter for the Tampa Bay Times, a loud and proud history lover, and my friend. A little warning before we get into it, this episode is tagged explicit. We don't get into anything too explicit, but there will be some swearing, and Gabrielle has reported on some let's say adult activities. If you're listening with the whole family, this might be an episode to skip. It's PG-13 at worst. In the 1880s, the cities of Florida were establishing their identities. To create major cities at this time, developers needed a few things in order to truly grow. You'd need a hospital, a church, a school, but to make yourself really matter in the greater landscape, you would need a newspaper. It's cultural and it unites everyone under an identity. The newspaper is a part of you. 
As the west coast of Florida found its feet, they established a newspaper for themselves known as the West Hillsboro Times. Their first edition was published on July 25, 1884, and it delivered to just under 500 subscribers. It was the very beginning of print journalism in the Tampa area, but it was also the beginning of something much more complicated. See, Tampa is a fairly spread out city. It goes from both sides of Tampa Bay, and the communities that consider themselves to be part of that broader city land far and wide. So smaller newspapers naturally popped up, competing newspapers popped up, and there wasn't just one paper to unify them all. After a series of name changes, the West Hillsboro Times finally formed into the St. Petersburg Times, which they remained for over a century, and on the first of the year in 2012, the St. Pete Times became the Tampa Bay Times. They bought out their rival, the Tampa Tribune, in 2016, and eventually expanded their circulation to the next county over, Polk. For Gabrielle Khaleesi, that century of change wound up being to her advantage. The Tampa Bay area had at one point like four or five different newspapers, and were the last ones standing. Um, you know, the, the St. Petersburg Times became the Tampa Bay Times, and we uh, acquired the Tampa Tribune. And, you know, those papers also had afternoon papers, as well as, like, the daily morning paper. And so between all that, we have such a rich archive of historical reporting. And just, we, we used to be even more spread out around Florida. So to be able to take such a, a wide, deep, wonderful uh, resource and introduce that to people, it's fantastic. And that massive library not only provides Gabrielle with historical information she wouldn't find anywhere else, it also helps her find stories in the first place, sometimes in the photo archive, sometimes reading historic columns. In the last few months, these archives have provided Gabrielle with countless stories. She has been a journalist for years, finding herself at various different organizations and papers where she has covered new kinds of stories every week. She was diving headfirst into crime and culture, history and drama. She found herself all over the state working for magazines and small local papers until she wound up working for her hometown paper last year, the Tampa Bay Times. In that time, she's written about haunted buildings, spontaneous combustion, motorcycle gangs and more. But Gabrielle has somehow planted her flag in a very specific genre of stories. Gabrielle has written four different stories related to strip clubs. This all started with a Sunday afternoon with one of my favorite editors, John Martin. I uh, used to be a web producer for The Times when I first started as an intern. And, you know, we would have these Sundays where it was a really slow day, not much is going on. And we would just talk about history and the archives and, you know, Tampa. And, and it sort of helped me to kind of get into this this line of, of questions that I often find myself in before starting these ridiculous stories. And John posed a question, why does Tampa have so many strip clubs? And I've wondered that myself. I mean, you can just drive through Tampa. You can drive like even, you know, in the Tampa Bay area, which includes Pinellas and Hillsborough counties. If you go down 19 in Clearwater, um, you'll see all these different strip clubs. And it almost is like a punchline. Every time we have a big event like a Super Bowl or we have the Republican National Convention, um, people in the national media will make fun of us and they say, oh, Tampa's the strip club capital. So this all started with why are there so many? And why are we known for this? All told, Tampa doesn't really sit very high on the list of cities with the most strip clubs, but the ones that are here are extremely well known. Not to mention the fact that there are incredible stories connected to these that make them even more iconic. 
There are big personalities and huge city government fights and even national attention from the likes of Playboy. And as Gabrielle has found in the last few months, these stories have many different sides to them. That sort of led me to tell the story of something that happened 20 years ago this month, which is uh, the passage of the Six-Foot Rule, which is an ordinance that is still on the books today, and yet it's not enforced. And basically, it was a time when the city of Tampa, including like four different mayors past and present, uh, went to war against some of these strip club owners in an attempt to kind of clean up the city and sort of make it look like they were doing something productive. Uh, they went on this rampage against them. And so in telling the story of that, I tried to answer that core question of where the hell did we get this reputation and kind of how did we end up in a landscape that has like 40 different strip clubs in, you know, a pretty packed metro area, but still like that's a lot. Number two was, you know, I spent three months working on and off on the first one, and there's all these different things that I learned about strip clubs and strip club culture in Tampa that I could not cram into the first one without bogging down the already long narrative. So I made that a spinoff of nine things you didn't know about Tampa strip clubs. The third one wasn't even really about strippers, but it was about um, 2001 Odyssey, which is one of our most well-known strip clubs in Tampa. It's right across from the Mons Venus, which is where the first strip club story took place. It has a gigantic spaceship on the roof of it. But what most people don't know is that spaceship is actually a private room where for like $250, you can go and get a private dance for, I think 15 or 20 minutes. Um, but what most people don't know about that is it's not just like a ridiculous spaceship on the roof, it is actually a Futuro house, which was um, one of less than a hundred of these homes of the future created by a Finnish architect. Uh, it's like a prefabricated home that you can actually, um, you know, go inside. They're a very rare architectural phenomenon. You can find them all around the world from like Texas to Australia. Um, and Tampa actually had more than one. There was, um, a salesman who uh, went from selling used mobile homes and tires to selling these ridiculous Futuro homes, and then he went on to uh, create a strip club. But he also sold a different Futuro house to another woman. So it's sort of the story of what the hell is that and how did that get on the roof? And I did not talk to a single stripper for that one. So uh, that was number three. The fourth story that I did wasn't really about strippers, but the protagonist, uh, this woman named Valerie, she was a stripper and she left dancing to sell hot dogs on the side of the road in the 90s in her thong bikini. And she was one of many women who were part of this hot dog girl phenomenon. And I set out to find, you know, what happened to these women that used to be ever present on the side of our industrial roads selling hot dogs in their bikinis? And what the hell was Wiener Mania 1, which turns out to be a, a mud wrestling competition hosted by a local radio station, an effort to settle a turf battle between multiple hot dog girls. But there's more to it than all that. We stopped recording and were leaving for the day when Gabrielle told me that she gets frustrated. Sometimes she's accidentally labeled as the journalist who writes about strippers and, and that's it. People will often laugh at the very basic idea of the story without hearing the content or the context. The stories are really not just about the dancers. For Gabrielle, she finds that they're about the fundamental things that cities are facing every day. Because they're not just strippers and they're not just strip clubs. Like, I mean, for the first story that I did, the one that took me a couple months to put together that led to all these other stories, um, the, the climax of that story um, was 
the city of Tampa had the largest city commission meeting in city history. That was 20 years ago. Um, I think they had a couple thousand people, 2,000 people maybe? Yeah, they had a couple thousand people come to the Tampa Convention Center and they talked for 13 hours and they had all these people, um, you know, testifying about why there should or shouldn't be a ban um, on lap dances. And they even had people who, because they they put this city council meeting on TV. It was one of the first public access um, city meetings. It might have even been like the first one in Tampa's history. Um, People would watch it as they were in bed they would put on their bathrobes and they would go to the Tampa Convention Center. That is how passionate people were about this. And then afterwards, there was this explosive war between Tampa police, led by current Mayor Jane Castor, back when she was, you know, on on the unit that was um, enforcing this. They would go to the clubs. They would bust these girls. They would have these massive raids. And Joe Redner, the, the strip club king, would run out after them screaming, saying, take me with them. And then you would have Luke LaRoe, the the strip club lawyer, who also represented other women doing other things. Um, He would go and and they would try every single one of these cases because they didn't want any one of these dancers to be left behind. And also they wanted to be a major pain in the ass for the city. And so it kind of was this big back and forth thing. Like so much of that battle was not just about strippers it was about the people in power who had all the money who wanted to look like they were making a change or not making a change um it has to do with tampa you know wanting to clean up its image without actually addressing the problems that were making it you know dirty in the first place and so that's why i think uh the danger of kind of saying oh these are just stripper stories is like you kind of discredit the fact that these are also local government stories these are like political scandal stories these are you know historical businessmen profile stories or you know it's also these aren't just strippers these are just women trying to to work and I think that um also I don't want people to think of me as just I'm chasing like something that's crazy because so much of what I'm doing is combing through the archives and looking for ways that I think you know we're we're missing out on sort of sharing these historical topics with people It is absolutely a constant fear as a writer that someone will make an assumption about your topic before they even dive in. There's nothing one can do about the preconceived notion a reader is bringing to any story. The best you can do is prepare yourself for what they leave with. This is true when you're writing about most things, but Gabrielle faces extra implications and prejudices when she tackles something as opinionated as strip clubs. Gabrielle is fighting for context and she will continue to do so. She has a passion, not just for her topics, but for Florida as well. I adore writing about Florida. Florida is such a special place. Uh, There's so many things here. I think that, I mean, they're not necessarily special or unique to Florida, but uh, there's just a, a combination of so many factors that make something sometimes such a uniquely Florida story. I think we almost, um, sometimes it feels like a made up place. I think that regardless of it being Florida though, there's just such a privilege in looking closely at a place where we all live and we all love to live and shining a light on why it is the way it is, you know, helping people to feel proud of where they live or just like they have a better understanding. I mean, we all have questions about why is this the way it is? And to be able to go into our archives and share, you know, these first drafts of history with people in a new way um, and to reach new audiences and also to kind of give that nostalgia bomb to people that have lived here for generations. I think that is so special. And 
these are the types of stories that I get the best feedback on. People are always you know, calling or emailing and saying, hey, I've always wondered about that too. Or, hey, thank you for doing that. I remember that. Or I was just wondering about that. And so every time I have that feeling, I just sort of, I'm like, yeah, this is why I'm, I'm doing this. Um, and to do it in Florida is fantastic. Every time I work with Gabrielle, the first thing I remember is her sheer excitement about the things that she knows and the work that she does. She is a sponge of information and she understands the context of all that work. Every article that she writes is not just informed and well-written, it's infused with Gabrielle's fascination with the unbelievable truths that make each story tick. It's exciting to meet someone who really loves the place they call home and uses all of the tools available to her. She doesn't take any of it for granted. We are not as big as we used to be because news in 2019 is hard and we have less money and we have debt that we have to pay. So layoffs are a thing and that's something that's hard to kind of get over. Um, we're all doing more with less, so that is difficult. But it's a privilege every day to get to be in this newsroom among these people that are so smart and you know asking really good questions, really tough questions. To be able to sit among people and listen to the way that they pose their questions, to hear people's ideas as they unfold in meetings. Um, I'm super proud to be in a newsroom where, you know, we have local beat reporters who are then turning around and investigating things like Scientology or lost graves or, you know, injustices that are, are happening and we're able to actually provide concrete change. It's hard, she says, but that won't slow them down. The generations of reporters keep coming. Folks like Gabrielle dive deep to do the stories justice, and we're all lucky that the work doesn't stop. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. This is the final episode of 2019, and I'm so thankful for all of your listens in the past year. 2019 was an unbelievable year for this show and for my life, and I'm so thrilled for what 2020 holds. If you enjoyed this episode and you're excited for the future, please consider leaving a review in the description below. I know that you hear it every week, but I cannot tell you what it does to help this show grow. It genuinely boosts the viewership of this podcast, and as 2020 is on the horizon, nothing would mean more to me than to bring more people into this show. You can also reach me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. I know you know someone who would like this show. Why not share it with your friends? It was my favorite thing about 2019. Maybe it was one of yours as well. You can also send me an email at WFMPod at gmail.com, especially if you have an idea for a future episode. I am always looking for more. I would like to give a special thank you to my friend Gabrielle Khaleesi. Her work at the Tampa Bay Times is truly outstanding. If you would like to read some of her work, especially the work discussed in this episode, there are links for those articles below. And if you like what you see, Gabrielle has some advice for you. If you like these stories, if you want to know more, like, A, tell the journalists that are putting these things together. And we read every email and it's so nice to have one from like a nice person rather than someone who's just like oh you know you left out a period or actually you're fake news and two if you care about local journalism pay for local journalism please every subscription counts and it funds people being able to do this research that takes time and money and we appreciate it and we want to keep bringing you more good stories 
All of the music used in this episode is from Lobo Loco. You can find the titles in the description below, along with a link to more of their fantastic music. I'll be back in 2020 with season three. I can't wait for you to hear what I've been cooking up. Have a very, very happy holiday and a wonderful new year. I'll see you on the other side. Until then, be good to yourself, be good to others, and drink more water. See you next year.